You're listening to audio from Harvest Bible Chapel, Philadelphia, where we believe in preaching the authoritative power of God's Word each and every week. For more content and information about our church, visit harvestphiladelphia.org. Matthew chapter 6 this morning, as I preach from the shadows, as we finish up our series, Dwell, um, Cultivating Intimacy with the Living God. Now, we began several weeks ago by discovering that intimacy is the experience of knowing and being known by someone important. We think of it oftentimes as spatial. That is, that when we have an intimate relationship with a friend, that is that we feel close to them and near to them. But when something happens, we feel separated and distant. That's why it's not just a spatial thing. It's a relational thing. You can be a thousand miles apart from someone and feel close to them, but you can also sit right next to somebody and feel a thousand miles apart. It's a relational concept. And through this process, we have discovered that there are three key ingredients to cultivating an intimate relationship, a close relationship with God. The first thing we saw is that if we want to be close to God, we must hear His voice through His Word. That is where it all begins, reading it daily for ourselves. But then we discovered that if we want to have intimacy with God, we must have His ear. Like a child climbing up onto his daddy's lap and pulling his ear close, we pray. We spend time with our God, sharing our hearts, our hurts, our needs, our desires. But then third, last week we saw that cultivating intimacy with God is fueled through this thing called fellowship, belonging to the local church. Today... We want to close out our series on this idea of fueling our intimacy with God through fasting. Now, if you're like the majority of Western Christians in America, you will probably agree that most of us have little to no experience with fasting. And it's not because we haven't heard about it. It's not because we don't know what's in the Bible. It's not because we don't know that Jesus did it. And I would imagine that probably a lot of us have thought at one time or another I need to fast. I need to try this. But we just never got around to putting down the fork. Amen? I think the reason why is because in Western civilization, our culture centers itself around food consumption. It's how we date. It's how we relate. It's how we celebrate. It's how we build relationships. We eat food when we need to. And can I get an amen? We eat food when we don't. We eat food for entertainment. And so the whole idea of fasting, of abstaining from food, is an affront to our deepest desires in life, our desires for comfort, for convenience, for pleasure, even entitlement. And yet, Jesus Christ assumed that his followers would fast. Note that he never commanded it anywhere in the New Testament. Fasting is never commanded, but he did assume it, and not just once, multiple times. If you meet me in chapter 6, verse 16, he says this, and when you fast, notice he doesn't say if you fast, but when you fast, he assumed that the disciples would do it. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in the secret. 
And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jump over to chapter 9, verse 14. And by the way, here at Harvest Bible Chapel, I love the rustling of Bible pages and the flipping of cell phone app pages. It's not quite as good to the ears, but I'm glad you have a Bible. Chapter 9, verse 14, it says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we, the Pharisees, fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can a wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom, that is Jesus, is taken away in his ascension from them, that is his people, and then they will fast. See, Jesus never commanded it. He assumed it because he understood that the idea, the the tool of fasting was too powerful in igniting our prayer life and cultivating intimacy with God. He just assumed that we would naturally want to use it. And so today what I want to do is I want to ask these questions. How does fasting work? How does it connect to prayer? How does it fuel intimacy with God? How does it ignite our prayer life? And how can we do it best as we enter into our week of prayer? But to do that, let's begin with prayer. Father, Lord, we come to you with this this unique idea of fasting. And God, we want to know not just how to do it, but how it draws us closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, I want to begin by just answering some very simple questions. First of all, what is fasting? In chapter 9, verse 14, again, it says, the disciples came to him saying, of, of John saying, why do, your, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples not fast? Well, before we can understand what's going on here, we have to understand what fasting is. So let's get a definition on the table. David Mathis, I think, gave us a great definition in his book, uh, Cultivating Intimacy with God. He said, fasting is the voluntary deliberate, temporary abstinence from food or any other regularly enjoyed gift from God for the sake of some spiritual purpose. So let's say that again, a voluntary, deliberate, temporary abstinence from food or any other regularly enjoyed gift from God for the sake of some spiritual purpose. So let's break that down. The first thing I notice here in this definition of fasting is it's a choice, It's a decision that you have to make to give up something good for something better. When you choose to fast, you are giving up food for prayer. You are giving up TV for intimacy with God. You are giving up some horizontal companionship for vertical companionship. But let's acknowledge the elephant in the room right out of the gate. Fasting is hard. It's uncomfortable. It hurts. When you fast and your tummy starts to grumble and starts screaming at you, feed me, feed me, it's hard. In the experiences that I've had with fasting, I, my pain or the, my tummy starts to hurt and then it creeps up into my shoulders, then into my neck and then into my head. It affects my entire body because my body, I have discovered, likes food and does not like to not be fed. Fasting is hard, it's uncomfortable, and secondly, it's inconvenient. There's never a good time to fast. If you're trying to think through, like, where on my schedule can I fit this into my life? Well, here's the reality. Fasting is hard, it's difficult, it's inconvenient, it's uncomfortable, and it's worth it. It is the voluntary choice to give up something good for something better. But notice, it's also temporary. 
And as throughout all of Scripture, we see that there are a lot of different amounts of time that God's people would fast. Every single year on the Day of Atonement, the Jewish people would set aside one day, the Day of Atonement, to fast and pray. Multiple times throughout the Old Testament, we saw that people would fast for three days at a time from food and drink. When the Jews were facing annihilation in the book of Esther, um, the people called out a fast. They said, we shall set aside food and water for three days and pray that God would intervene. We also see sometimes that people would fast for seven days when David's son lay dying and David went prostate crying. He fasted and he prayed for seven days that God would intervene. We see in the New Testament that Jesus fasted for 40 days. He went out into the wilderness to get alone with God and spend time with his heavenly father. Now, is there a prescribed amount of time for fasting in the scriptures? No, you can fast for one meal, you can fast for two meals, you can fast for two days, you can fast for two weeks, but it's an intentionally and chosen, deliberate amount of time to get alone with the living God. It's a deliberate period of time for a specific spiritual purpose. And notice this, it's choosing something specific to give up to create time to spend with God. Do I need to say that again? It's the deliberate choosing of something specific to give up to create space in our very busy schedules to spend time with God. Think of it. We can give up food. How many of us spend two hours, well, maybe it's not two hours a day. We spend time throughout the day gathering, preparing, eating, consuming. And if we were to give up that time, we would say, well, I don't have time for God. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the Bible. We can give this up to create space in our schedule to meet with God. But not just that. We can give up any good gift that God has created. We can exp- uh, abstain from recreation. For many of us who love exercise, we can give up the gym for a couple of days. <gasps> I know that's tough for some of us. We can give up TV for a season. Apparently, the average person spends about 10 hours a day looking at a screen. That is insane. Give up some of that time. Marital intimacy. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul assumed that couples would give it up for a season to pray. He said in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. It's the voluntary giving up of something specific for a spiritual purpose. And that's why we do it. We don't fast to go on a diet, to fit into our clothes that we used to fit into, or to get a six-pack. It's to, we, we fast, <clears throat> We fast to deprive the physical to invoke the spiritual. We fast to starve the outer man so that we can feed the inner man, to weaken the body, to feed the soul, to strip dependency off human resources so that you and I can experience a spiritual breakthrough. Are you here today? Could you use a spiritual breakthrough of some kind? Fasting can help you get there. We fast. It's a voluntary and deliberate abstinence from food or any other regularly enjoyed gift from God 
for the sake of a spiritual purpose. Now, let's dig a little deeper into this question. Why do we do it? Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 really gets at this. Now, throughout Scripture, we see that God's people regularly fast for a variety of different reasons. They would fast for bereavement. Uh, There would be a series, uh, a season of sadness and sorrow as we said goodbye to someone or we mourn for somebody. And so God's people would fast. We also see during seasons of distress in Esther when God's people faced annihilation. When we're up against a brick wall, when we're stuck underneath the boulder and we don't know how to get around or over or under or out from, God's people would set aside food and drink and fast and pray that God would intervene. In seasons of repentance, maybe there's some of us here today who are stuck in cycles of sin, are not, our lives are tied up in knots and we cannot seem to break free and we cannot seem to untangle. And consistently throughout Scripture, God's people would during those seasons fast and pray for a spiritual breakthrough, intervention. God's people would pray for intervention. When it seemed like there was no hope, there was no way forward, God would intervene when God's people would pray. And finally, God's people would pray for guidance. There's anybody here who could use a little bit of guidance in life? Who do I marry? What job do I find? Where do I go to school? Do I make this decision or that decision? I think every one of us would say that, yes, we could use a little bit of God's wisdom from time to time. How do we get it? One of the main ways that God's people would do it was through fasting. But what is interesting here in this text, in verse 14 of chapter 9, is that we find that Jesus and his disciples are not fasting. The Pharisees and John's disciples are And we see that in verse 14, the disciples of John came to him, that is Jesus saying, why do we, John's disciples, and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? Why is Jesus and his disciple not fast? Well, we know it's not because Jesus didn't think it was valuable. Clearly, Jesus began his ministry by fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's just mentioned to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount that we ought to be fasting. But yet, here we find that Jesus is not fasting. Is that hypocritical? Why is Jesus telling us to do something that he himself in this moment is not doing? Well, the explanation is in verse 15, and he uses this analogy to get at the ultimate purpose of fasting, the analogy of a wedding reception. Look at verse 15. Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. You know, Miranda and I have been to a lot of, uh, we've over, offici- I have officiated multiple weddings, and we have been to our fair share of weddings. And I can, I think, safely say that I don't think we have ever been to a wedding reception where we didn't feast and gorge on food and cake and all sorts of different things. Why? Because celebration demands food. Amen? That's the only way that Christians know how to celebrate. When you want to get together, there's fellowship, there's fun, and there has to be Food, that's how we celebrate. That's how we enjoy each other. But when was the last time you mourned and celebrated 
with food. You see, in verse 15, he asked that question. Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? You see, fasting is not for celebration. Fasting is for mourning. And here's what I mean. Notice what it says in the text. Jesus, the bridegroom, when he is taken away and ascends into heaven, when Jesus is put on the cross, is what he's saying, and is, he ascends into heaven and he leaves his people for these 2,000 years, he says, when the bridegroom is gone, that is when God's people will fast, when we mourn his leaving. Fasting in this context is an expression of our longing for Christ's return. That is what fasting is for. Let me say that again. In this context, fasting is an expression of our longing for Christ's return. While Jesus is here, we don't need to fast because he's present. But when he is gone, the ache of our heart and the ache of the heart of God's people is expressed and manifest in this thing called fasting. John Piper put it like this. Fasting is a physical exclamation point on the end of these sentences. Jesus, I need you. I want you. I long for you. You are my treasure. I want more of you. Oh, for the day when you will return, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Why do we fast? What is the ultimate reason other than bereavement and distress and repentance and intervention and guidance? Fasting fuels longing for the presence of Jesus Christ. In the aching of our bodies for food, we amplify the ache of our souls for Christ. That is the purpose of fasting. In the absence of food, As our bodies ache, we experience the absence of Christ and magnify the aching of our souls for his presence. Are we tracking? So it amplifies our soul's cry for Jesus' power. Could you use more of Jesus' power in your life now? to untangle the knots of sin and redeem broken relationships. Some people in this audience, or maybe there are some people who are listening to this podcast right now who are in the midst of broken relationships and you don't know what to do and you need a breakthrough, fast and pray for more of Jesus' power. You are experiencing the knots of sin that have tangled up in your life and you don't know how to break free. Fast and pray. That is what it's for. It is the soul's ache and cry from Jesus' people, that Jesus would beautify his bride and meet her needs. It is the soul's cry for Jesus' purposes to be accomplished in life, that we would see Jesus seek and save the lost. Do you have coworkers, friends, family members who desperately need to have an encounter with Jesus and be saved from their sins? Let me say it again. You have family, friends, loved ones that need Jesus because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. They can only come and have eternal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and they have not yet come to that point. Do they need Jesus? Anybody in your life that could use that? 
then intercede for them through fasting and prayer. That is what it is for. When we fast, we amplify our soul's cry for Jesus' presence in our life, that he would come near and touch us with his presence. Fasting puts our stomachs where our hearts should be at all times, in a place of need and desperation. We fast to express our ache for all of the implications of Jesus' power in this present moment. When we fast, we are telling God, I ache for God's power. I ache for Jesus' presence. I ache for Jesus' purposes to be accomplished in my life. And I ache for Jesus' people to experience the freedom that Jesus has promised in the New Testament. That is why we fast when we pray. Is that a good reason? So then how do prayer and fasting unite together? Isaiah chapter 58 verse 4 says this. In the context of Isaiah chapter 58, if you've never read it before, it's one of the longer, if not the longest passage on fasting in the entire scripture. And it's actually a polemic on how God's people in the Old Testament got fasting wrong. They were fasting to seek their own purposes, accomplish their own desires, and yet they were still unjust and they were still mistreating each other and on and on and on. But in the middle of this text, we have this very fascinating verse that God gives us. He says, fasting like yours, which is motivated by the wrong motives, okay? He says to his people, fasting like yours will not make your voice heard on high. Right goal wrong motives. So church, what if this morning we as a people decided we're going to accomplish or seek to accomplish this right goal with right motives? What do you think God will do as a result if we do that? Will God hear us? Will you hear our cries? Fasting when done with the right motives to experience more of Jesus' power for his people, for his purposes, for his presence, help us, helps us to achieve the right goal of being heard on high. Fasting is like putting fuel on the flames of our prayers. Our prayers burn hotter. Our prayers burn brighter. Our prayers burn more intense. Fasting as we long to be satisfied by food, amplifies our desperation for God to satisfy our requests in prayer. That is what fasting is for. So church, as we enter into this season of opportunity and vulnerability, students, as you enter into this new season of responsibility and pressure, it would be easy for us to just go into it without God's presence, without God's power, without his intervention in our lives. It would be easy just to coast by in our own strength, in our own power, and that never gets us very far. Amen? So what if we entered into this season as a church Married couples, if you've been in a rocky patch, what if you started today a new season by hitting the reset button right here, right now? And you said, God, we need to, we, we, we want you to hear our voice on high. And we're going to come to you with the right motives. Do you think God will hear you 
if you do that today. Church, we enter into the season of vulnerability and opportunity, and we want to step forward into this season, and we want to see everything that God has for us, but that's not going to happen if we don't dependently and humbly throw ourselves at his feet in his presence. So how do we do that? We fast and we pray. If we enter into the season the right way, amplifying our soul's ache for the Lord, by experiencing our tummy's ache for food, I think God will hear our prayers on high and he will answer. So you might be saying, well, Pastor Matt, wow, I've never fasted before. I don't know where to start. Well, first of all, we've given you this prayer guide. And this is seven days, seven ways to pray. I think a lot of us, the reason why we struggle to pray is because um, we get bored. Now, honesty in church, how many of you would say, I think that's true. I don't have much variety in my prayer life. I don't know what else to do. This is seven ways for seven days to pray. If you open up to the table of contents, you'll find prayer models here laid out for us. These are just descriptive. They are not prescriptive. You don't have to do this in your prayer life. If you don't like one, that's totally okay. But we have the Lord's Prayer, Tabernacle Prayer, Praying Scripture, the Prayer of Jabez is just a model. Warfare prayers, praying for those who need God and personal prayer focus. Start here. How do I pray? Start here. But how do we then add fasting onto this to fuel the flames of our prayer? Here, let me give some thoughts here. Number one, start small. Maybe you would be here today and you would say, I've never fasted before. Well, we don't go from never fasting to like fasting for a week. That's just a bad plan, okay? Uh, Start with one meal, maybe a breakfast or a lunch, uh, then try two meals. If you've been fasting for a while, I'll bump it up a little bit. Or if you are in a consistent fast and you do the 816 or the 52 or the warrior diet or whatever it is, there's a billion different intermittent fasts. <coughs> Excuse me, intermittent fasts out there, right, Bevan? There's a billion out there, okay? Change it up. But the point is to do this for a spiritual purpose, not a physical purpose. So start small. Secondly, have a plan. What am I going to do instead of eating? What am I going to do instead of eating? Because here's the problem. Fasting is not an end to itself. It's a tool. It serves a spiritual purpose. And if you fast and you don't replace it with something else, all you're going to be doing is white-knuckling your way through a season of fasting. That's all it's going to be, and you are going to be miserable. You want to know why I know that? Because I've done that. Say, Lord, I'm going to fast for a meal, or I'm going to fast for two meals, or I'm going to fast for a day, and I don't replace that time of fasting with something spiritual. I end up just white-knuckling my way, and all I do is thinking about how I want to eat. The purpose of fasting is to replace it with prayer. Listen to what Dave Mathis says about fasting. When you empty, when your empty stomach starts to growl and begins sending your brain every feed-me signal it can, don't be content to let your mind dwell on the fact that you haven't eaten. If you make it through with an iron will, 
that says no to your stomach, but doesn't turn your, mind, doesn't turn your mind's eye elsewhere. It says more about your love for food than your love for God. Christian fasting turns its attention to Christ. Christian fasting seeks to take the pains of hunger and, and transpose them into the key of some eternal anthem. Whether it's fighting against some sin or pleading for someone's salvation or for the cause of the unborn or longing for the greater taste of Jesus, prayer is saying no to something good so that we can say yes to something better. So before you fast, whether it's the food or the gym or the internet, or here's a good one for all of us younger people, fasting your phone by plugging into your nightstand and leaving it there for a couple of days. Will that create some time? Or saying no to the TV, have a plan. If I say no to this, what am I going to say yes to? And so thank you to Dalton who put this together. He put a lot of work into this. We adapted it from another church and we made it for our own purposes. But the point of this week as we enter into our season of prayer is that every single day we as a church will be going before the Lord and lifting up our requests and just using this as a resource to humble ourselves before God and say, God, we need you as a church. So here's what I would also say about this prayer guide. Put it in your Bible right now. Everybody's kind of looking at me like, what do you mean? Like, take, take it up in one hand, take your Bible in another, put it right there, close, close the back jacket, there you go. And then when you get home, um, actually, let's start with your car before you get home. When you get in your car, don't put this underneath the seat to be pulled out for church next weekend, okay? Put this in your lap, on your knee, or on the shelf so that when you get back home, you take it with you into your house and you put it somewhere that's going to be prominent and it's going to be staring you in the face every single day. Why? Because a lot of us, we take this, we put it on the shelf, it collects dust till next Sunday and we never touch it. So put it somewhere where you're going to use it every day. You're going to meet with God, and it's going to remind you to pray. And then secondly, do this. Decide when you're going to fast, if you're going to fast right now. Because here's the thing. Many of us are sitting here right now thinking to ourselves, sounds like a good idea. I should try that sometime. And that sometime will probably um, not come about to the next time you hear about a sermon on fasting, like seven years from now, right? So decide right now, am I going to fast? And when am I going to fast? And some of you might say, well, I'm going to fast for the rest of the day. Don't do that. Come up with a plan. I'm going to start tomorrow morning, and then I'm going to try one meal or I've done one meal before. I'm going to try two meals, but I'm going to start tomorrow and I'm going to have a plan. And when I fast and I say no to food, I'm going to say yes to God and his word through prayer. Here's where I'm going to do it, when I'm going to do it, how I'm going to do it. Can I give any more clarity to this? Do you know why this is necessary? Because I struggle to do it myself. And if I don't make these choices while I'm sitting here right now, I'll never do it. Can I get an Amen. All right. Is, is it worth it? I think it is. So now what do we pray for? Well, okay, a couple of thoughts here. 
write a list. If you go to the very back of your prayer guide, you're going to see here, there's a couple of spots that you can write down um, things to pray for. Um, we can pray for our government. Hey, pause. Do we need to pray for our government? Pause. Do we need to pray for our government? Okay. Family. You need to pray for your family? Church. You need to pray for your church? We need your prayers right now. Can I just be vulnerable for a second? There are days where I feel the crushing weight of losing Pastor Scott and Courtney and the responsibility that's starting to fall, all of it fall kind of on me. I feel overwhelmed and I feel crushed and there are moments and times where I just, I want to run and give up, and I can't do that. So would you pray for your pastor? I need your prayer for my life, for your employer, for your coworkers, and for those who need God. There's a, a page on the back there for those who need God. So write things down, and here's why. Putting pen to paper helps provide clarity in your prayer life. That's a tongue twister. Putting pen to paper provides clarity in your prayer life. So write it down. And that's why we've given you this. Here are a couple of things that you can be praying for for us as a church as we kick off this week of prayer. As we enter into the season of vulnerability, a couple of thoughts on how to be praying this week. Um, first of all, we need to be praying for our missions opportunities. As many of you know, we planted a church down in Barbados uh, two and a half years ago uh, in coordination with uh, Vertical Church Columbus. And it has been going exceptionally well, but not without Satan's attack. And about two months ago, Derek and Sharon, who are our missionaries down there, were robbed. Uh, someone broke into their house, took all their stuff, slept in their beds, ate all their food, violated the house. And they have been pretty uh, distraught by that. Um, so we have sent some money down to help with uh, the relief. We've sent down some money to help uh, with their children's ministry, to help replace some of the church property that was stolen out of their house. Um, Vertical Church has also sent some money down. But pray that they emotionally heal and spiritually trust the Lord. Also pray for uh, Darren and Adina Greenfield. They are uh, planning a church in West Philadelphia. We are so excited for them. Darren has preached here several times, and he is a phenomenal preacher. We love him, and we are so excited that they are bringing another gospel-centered church down in that area, but they are launching this weekend, and they have a lot of need. So first of all, let me say this. They got 40 people, and they're launching this weekend. That's exciting. Another gospel-preaching church in West Philly, and we need that. And so let's be praying for them. They're going to be, uh, actually, they're going to be launching in Overbrook, which is the home of uh, Big Willie. And uh, is that Will Smith? Is that his nickname? Anyway, Will Smith. <laughs> I am from Iowa. I got to just quit trying. Yeah, I'm just going to quit trying. Will Smith, Wilt Chamberlain, uh, Overbrook. Uh, it's it's a, famous, uh, a famous school. They're going to be launching there. Okay, moving on. Staff. Pray for our staff as uh, we're going to be meeting with Vander Blumen here on the 22nd of September. Uh, Vander Blumen is the, the research firm that's going to help us go out and find staff to replace uh, Scott and Courtney. And so be praying for us as we meet with them on 922. That is September 22nd. That's going to be a Sunday. Just figuring out what we need 
so that you know what the process moving forward is going to look like. It's going to take about two to three months once they meet with us to go out, find the candidate pool, narrow it down to about three or four people that they will present to us around Christmas time. At that point, we'll decide who we want. Hopefully by January, February, we will have hired our next guy. Number three, a building. We have been meeting with a realtor and a lender, and we are deep into the process of trying to find something for our church to have a permanent home. We are exceedingly thankful that we get to meet in this school, are we not? But we are weary of setting up and tearing down. And all God's people said, hmm. So what we're doing is we are looking, and we are trying to figure out, can we afford to buy? Do we lease? What do we do? So a little bit of detail just so that we manage expectations in terms of what can we buy, okay? We can afford about a $700,000 mortgage, which in King of Prussia gets us nothing. (laughs) Now, what does that mean? We have an amazing place that we're here at right now, and this is awesome, and we love meeting here in this place, amen? So we're not eager to get out of here, but if we can find something quickly, we would love to. But we also don't want to downsize and feel like we're moving backwards. We want to be able to find a place that we can fit into and grow into and grow up, amen? To be able to grow as a church, I really do have a sense that if we find our own place, we're not going to shrink we're going to explode. That's my sense of it. We have people who love Jesus here, love sharing the gospel, love sharing Christ, and I think there's going to be a ton of people that are going to want to come and be a part of that church, but they're scared by a school, and I think once we find that place, we're going to grow a ton. So we want to be able to find a place that we can grow into, then go to multiple services and all that fun stuff and multi-site and blah, blah, blah. I'm kidding. I don't want to do all that. But grow. Amen? All right. If we can't buy, we can lease. And we're looking, we're trying to figure out where could we lease and where could we go and what could we find. And so we just want you to know that we're in the process of doing that. But what do we need to do? We have about 100000 saved in the bank for a building. What will that get us for a down payment? Not a whole lot. But we need to keep working on it. So we're putting 2% aside every year of everything that comes in into that building fund. But we are praying that God would grow that to 250000 that God would grow our church to 250 so that we can have something of substance here in the King of Prussia area. Now, why do we want to stay here? Because for eight years, we have built relationships, we have built roofs, and we have built a rep getting choked up, a reputation here in King of Prussia as a church that wants to serve this community. We want to meet the needs and serve the needs of our community by meeting physical needs so that we can address spiritual needs here in King of Prussia and the surrounding communities. That's what we want to do. Now, I know a lot of us, we don't live in King of Prussia, but we've got to find a community to serve. So why not pick the one where your church is? Amen? That's why we're doing this. So, These are ways in which we could be praying this week as a church. So a couple of questions as I conclude. Number one, will you pray? Will you pray? And I ask you that question as a choice to be made right now. Will you pray? Pray for your family. Pray for your neighbors, your coworkers. Pray for your church. Pray for those who need Christ. Will you pray? Secondly, would you fast? 
It's not a command that God gives. It's not a command that Jesus made, but it is an assumption that he made because he knew it's such a powerful tool in the hearts and lives of God's people, in the midst of broken relationships, in the midst of tangled knots, it is a powerful tool to ignite our prayer lives. Will you try it? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray every day, and I'm going to use this guide, and I'm going to fast twice this week. That's my goal. Will you join me? Will you do it with me? Let's watch God's move, and let's God, let's pray that God hears our voices on high as we pray with the right motives. Amen? Father, we humbly come before you now and ask and pray, God, as we enter into this week of prayer, Lord God, that you would hear our cry for family and friends and loved ones and neighbors and unsaved and on and on. We pray, God, that you would hear our voice on high as we cry out to you. Father, help us to remember this week as we fast together that, Lord, fasting is not an end to itself. It does not, it's not meant to serve a, a physical need, but it's meant to fuel our prayer time with you, to help us taste more deeply the ache in our souls for your presence, Lord Jesus, that you would return quickly. So, Father, help us this week as we pray. Help us this week as we fast. Father, keep our eyes fixed on Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this audio from Harvest Bible Chapel, Philadelphia. For more audio, content, and information about our church, visit harvestphiladelphia.org.